Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, a pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church, and I welcome you to our latest weekly podcast from San Philip. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we bow before you at this time. We praise you for this day and for your purpose in it. We ask that you reset our agendas while we are here in your presence, for you assure us that where two or more gather in your name, you are with them. So we know that you are with us right now. Help us in this moment to recalibrate our intentions and to refocus our hearts. Your will for our lives doesn't always reflect our plans, so we ask that you change our plans to reflect your will. Help us to understand that we don't need to have full clarity to walk in the unique purpose that you have for our lives. Lift our eyes to seek you first in this moment and always surrendering our need to achieve, our need to understand, our need to be known, shifting our perspective to seek your peace and peace with you above all else. In every situation we ponder in our daily lives, we pray that the Holy Spirit would translate your commands. Give us renewed strength and godly courage to obey you without questioning. Forgive us for striving beyond our means, worrying, and forcing results. Only you know what lies ahead, and you are our good Father, just and righteous. And though our circumstances will be unfair from time to time in this life, You are always our unwavering protector and shield. Keep the words of King David fresh in our minds and renew our hearts to the tune of your truth. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Let your peace rain down on us today as we seek you more than anything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson is found in Revelation, the seventh chapter, the ninth and the tenth verses. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this day. Notice these words. Every nation, tribe, people, and language. All of these people, more than anyone could count, they're all standing before the throne of God in heaven. This is close to the end whenever this happens. This is a picture of heaven. Heaven is going to be filled with people from every nation, every tribe, 
every people and speaking every language. That sounds just wonderful, doesn't it? You know, this past, oh, three weeks, I've been blessed to be working at a job where I would go around and knock on doors and get information from people. And I've been doing this in one of the most diverse places in the United States. Uh, I live in Katy, Texas, and the, our area is one of the most diverse anywhere in our country. And this huge apartment complex that I was walking around in had 30 uh, two-story buildings in it that were each one filled with apartments. And every kindred, every nation, every tribe you could imagine, they were there in this apartment complex. And it just kind of gave me a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. All different colors of skin, all different languages. And you know what? We all got along together. Some of them I helped, some of them helped me. We were pleasant with each other, and we got along. Sad to say, I would get back home after working all day and turn on the TV, and I would see the division and the strife and the rancor that some people are trying to bring up between people that really want to get along together. There's a word that I hear being hurled around with more and more frequency lately, and that's the word racist. Often nowadays, it's used just as a political tool against ideological opponents. It's just a smear word many times. In today's world, this is what makes you a racist. Mentioning race in any way which makes this sermon probably labeled racist by many people. Not being totally politically correct, supporting your race, being white, telling a racist joke, judging by hair color, disliking something someone else likes, and it goes on and on and on. It seems today as I've looked at this that the most legitimate definition of a racist by today's standards is one who holds personal thoughts of racial superiority, power, and prejudice is added to that. Today, all around the world, we are celebrating World Communion Sunday. And I think that what we celebrate as we celebrate World Communion Sunday is best summed up in the first two verses of the great hymn, The Church's One Foundation. I'm going to share them with you now. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. And with His own blood He bought her. And for her life, he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace 
endued. If ever there was a time to ponder what this means, I think today is the day. Forces have been hard at work over the past decade to bring division in our country along racial lines. In connection with that, I'd like for us to consider this morning or this afternoon or whenever we're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this with me, uh, I would like to just consider whether or not a Christian can be a racist. The question is, can a Christian be a racist? And the short answer to the question is a resounding no. You see, a Christian cannot be a racist. And let me tell you why. A Christian cannot be a racist because the whole good news of the Bible is wholly international in its scope. It embraces every person all around the globe equally. Let's go back to the book of Genesis and, and even, well, you go back, you see, first of all, Adam, one man. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But in Genesis, the 12th chapter, the first through the third verses, we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And now listen to this last sentence. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear how inclusive that is, brothers and sisters in Christ? All the families of the earth will be blessed. Now let's fast forward to of the Great Commission where Jesus is there with his disciples and he gives them their marching orders just before he ascends into heaven. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we read, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, do you notice this, people? The one who is speaking has all authority. And this is the command the one with all authority gives to us. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The good news uh, that we're looking at today can be summed up in three basic statements. First, all humans are made in the image of God. Next, all people can be included in the family of the church. And then lastly, all kinds of people will be worshiping Jesus around his throne. 
Now let me back up to all of us, all people are made in the image of God. You know, uh, I enjoyed being with those people uh, in this apartment complex, and I have always been uh, just uh, joyed. I've always enjoyed being around people of all different types and all different languages. And that's one of the things I like about living in this area where we are now. Sometimes I can go into uh, the big department store here in our area. If I go in late at night, sometimes I might be the only Anglo in the entire store. But we all get along. We all do what we came to do. We speak to each other and we're doing just fine. And this all started, this love of me for just all different kinds of people. Back when I was a kid growing up in uh, Cleveland, Texas, working at my father's service station, and Highway 59 runs north and south all the way from uh, Mexico border all the way up to uh, the Arkansas border. And the thing is, I saw the world come through my father's service station as I worked there and as I serviced people's cars and as I waited on them and said yes sir and no sir to all of them because I was there as their servant to serve them as a gas station attendant. And I learned about all different kinds of people and I was curious and I asked questions. They were happy to give me answers. I began learning Spanish uh, way back then from the migrant workers coming through. Whenever I would ask them what a word meant or what something they said was, they would just kind of take me under their wing. And while they were there at their rest stop, they would teach me. And that's how I got started with a love for different languages. And one of the reasons I love different languages is because I can communicate with more people more openly. I love that. And I think that is a part of the image of God. And I think it's really within all of us if it doesn't get covered up. But the thing is, it's there. We've all been made in the image of God. Adam has passed on to his children an image that, yes, is marred and faded, but it still holds inherent dignity and value and it's present in all people but one thing that the bible has to say is that in the beginning god created the human race from one man which means whichever ethnic group you belong to you have a common ancestry with every other ethnic group you, you all come from the same place, a person lovingly created by God. Next, all people can be included in the family of the church. In Galatians 3, 26 through 28, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter 
where you come from or what color skin you have, through faith in Jesus Christ, you belong in God's great family, a family that he is gathering from all the nations. This doesn't mean that every person will have faith in Jesus, but that any person from any race, language, or culture can have faith in Jesus. Jesus didn't die and rise again for people with a specific skin color. Paul states this truth so strongly here that he almost goes so far as to say that the things that define and divide us as humans don't even matter in God's family. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, he says, nor male nor female. What divides Christians is nowhere near as strong as what we have in common. You have something more substantial in common with a believer on the other side of the world than you do with your unbelieving family. Faith in Christ Jesus. And you share in one blood, the blood of Jesus which has redeemed you. Lastly, all kinds of people will be worshiping Jesus around his throne. We've already read Revelation 7, 9 through 10. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, at the end of time, God's great family will come together to sing the praises of the one who died and rose again to save them. And the truth is that every people, every, every tribe, every kind of person will be represented. It's going to be astounding. This is why Christian missionaries have always traveled across the globe to find people that don't yet know Jesus. He deserves to have people from every nation know him. And this is why there is something particularly beautiful about a Christian church that is truly diverse. It's a snapshot of how we'll be spending eternity. Now, with these three truths in mind, you can see that racism, any belief that one's own ethnicity or race is superior, simply has no room in Christian faith. Whereas racism tends to overemphasize and deride the differences between people, the New Testament has always been revolutionary in affirming and uniting people across traditional divides. It's one of the best things about the true church. Given all that is above, it makes it particularly tragic that the history of Christianity is marked by episodes of intolerance and racism. People who have claimed to be Christian have even tried to use the Bible to justify the belief that their own particular race is superior to others, therefore permitting them to carry out all kinds of atrocities against people that they consider substandard. 
How can a Christian justify that? You can't. There's no way. The answer is you cannot. Someone may claim they are a Christian or may act in the name of God. They may have an intellectual understanding of the faith or be a churchgoer. And they may be able to argue the Bible with you, but if they are acting in a way utterly inconsistent with the Bible's clear teaching, they're not Christian and their professions are useless. That kind of faith is dead. And on the day he comes to judge, Jesus will name it as the evil that it is. A Christian cannot be racist. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, a racist can become a Christian. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here Paul names a whole list of sins, and this list is by no means complete. They just happen to be the problems that the Corinthian church was struggling with, and so there's a sense in which you could insert just about any sin in there. What's interesting is how strict Paul is here. There is no excuse for consistently and habitually committing these sins. Nor does he even allow them to continue to struggle with them, committing them every now and then. He tells them that if they are now Christian, then all these things are behind them. They're in the past. They have been made clean in Jesus' precious blood by and they've been made holy by his sacrifice and made righteous by his work. Now their whole identity has changed and there's not a trace of these old sins left. The same offer is on the table for racists. There is no room in God's family for racism. But there is room in the family for those who are currently racist. We seem to have lost the word repentance in some modern expressions of the Christian faith. Christians are supposed to be people who repent. The scripture makes it clear they are people who repent, who turn away from their sin and their old selves and turn anew to Jesus his death, his resurrection, and his promises. It's a word that implies a dramatic break from a past that is wrong. It's the perfect word 
for this discussion. The controversial truth is that racists can become children of God, people endowed with the very Spirit of God. But they must repent, leaving their racism at the door as they head home. There's no room for it in God's kingdom. The stakes are very, very high, brothers and sisters. We'll either spend eternity singing God's praises, singing praises to Jesus shoulder to shoulder with people utterly unlike us, or we'll spend eternity in suffering surrounded with people just as selfish as we are. It's our choice. I close with these words, and you probably know them, and if you do, John 3.16, say it along with me as we proclaim the truth of what has been declared this day in the name of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. That includes you, whether you're part of his kingdom yet or not. Have you come to know him as your heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ? If so, I rejoice with you. If you have not, you can step into the kingdom right now. You can leave all the wrong stuff behind and turn toward him right now. If you'd like to do that, just pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I bow before you and I ask your forgiveness for all the wrong I've done in my life. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll forgive me. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price for my sins, for all my wrongs, when you died on the cross. And I receive the forgiveness that you purchased for me there this day. I claim it as my own now. As you have offered it to me, I receive it. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I ask you to come into my heart now. I ask that you come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live the life that you have for me to live. The way I've been living hasn't been working for me. And I'm tired of it. And I want your way now. Come. Fill me and use me as your creation. Help me be that new creation that you want me to be. Help me be that person that deep inside I was created to be and have been longing to be all along. Thank you for making that possible. And I receive this all now in Jesus' name. And Lord, from now on, I'm living for you. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'd like to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, those that just prayed this prayer, I pray that you will pour your Holy Spirit upon them now and just uh, let them know your peace and your presence and your reality as they open their lives to you. 
I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Goodbye, and we'll see you next week.